So if not obvious from some of the song selections to some of you, uh, our, our scripture today is Psalm 23, maybe a familiar psalm to many, uh, maybe not by number, but perhaps as we read the words, you'll recognize, oh, I've heard these words before. Um, likely, if you've been to a, a funeral, uh, these are likely the words that are printed on the back of many little funeral cards that have obituaries and on the back the encouragement of Psalm 23, and, and, and rightly so. I mean, these words are, are indeed an encouragement, especially in times of facing death, whether our own death or the death of loved ones. Uh, but is that all this psalm is for, Psalm 23? Uh, you know, coming off of a, uh, being away for a week, uh, I was, you know, full disclosure, I was looking for uh, a passage that perhaps I could preach that uh, I had preached before, but not so recently that too many of you would remember it. Uh, so, uh, I looked back through the archives, and the first time I preached Psalm 23 was in 2000. That can't be right. We weren't here in 2000. What, was the, what were the numbers I was looking at? It was something, then 16, then 22. 2009, 2008 or 9, we were at the high school, so it must have been 9. Uh, and then in 2016, I preached it again. And so it seems like it's time for it to come back around. It's 2022, so it's about a six- to seven-year cycle. So, you know, if you're visiting, if you come back in seven years in the summer, there's a very high likelihood I'll be preaching on Psalm 23, and I, I apologize to you for that. Um, Psalm 23 doesn't have a, a title other than maybe the titles that our own Bibles add to them, but you notice many psalms have an actual title that's included in sort of the inspired scripture, like there are actual titles to psalms in the Hebrew writing, but there's no title to this psalm, uh, in one sense, because uh, it, it needs no introduction. Uh, it's short, it's simple, it's pretty straightforward. And the titles that we offer it, you know, the shepherd, God, the good shepherd, things like that, uh, don't do it justice. Uh, if, if you were to grade this poetry based on metaphor usage, like, you would give it, like, a C- minus because of all the mixed metaphors. Like, if this was truly a poem about God as shepherd, they forgot by verse 3 that that's what they were going for. And so, uh, while it's an encouragement that this is a psalm about God as our shepherd, it's so much more. There's so much more in Psalm 23. Uh, what we see in this psalm, uh, it's, it's nice, it's short, you know, it's got... Uh, three stanzas that you're, if you're using the black Bibles, again, if it's on page 541, or your Bible might show like a little extra double space between sections. So verses one to three are one stanza, and then verse four is a stanza, and verses five and six are a stanza. So three sections here. But, you know, enough intro. Let's just, let's stand up and hear this psalm, hear from God his word. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. 
He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The grass withers, the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. So in Hebrew poetry, usually what you see are things like either couplets or triplets, and our our English Bibles try to lay that out for you. So Hebrew poetry doesn't necessarily rhyme like, uh, like Western European poetry would or like English poetry. It's not intended to rhyme. At most, they'll, have, they'll go for a cadence, but that pretty quickly gets lost if it was a cadence you were looking for once you have to translate it. But because they're written more like uh, just to have parallel or mirroring lines or sections, it, Hebrew poetry, unlike English poetry, can translate into any language. And so you can see how they flow. So, uh, and then it just is a matter of whether we read it that way. And so, like, verse 1 and the first line of verse 2 are the first couplet. Uh, so, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And so you see through this, there are then, so you've got four couplets at the beginning, four kind of A, B, A, B, A, B, A, B. And at the end of the psalm, you've got four couplets, A, B, A, B, A, B, A, B. And smack in the middle of the psalm is a triplet. It's an A, B, C. And it's almost intended to, like, trip you up if you're reading it or to slow you down or to cause you to pause there. And so then when you look at that, you realize the, the central point literally in this psalm is you are with me. The opening line of the triplet in the middle of this psalm is you are with me. The whole point of the psalm, it's more than just that Jesus or that God, excuse me, that God is your shepherd or that God anoints and protects and comforts. All of this is true, but it's true because God is with you. And the way we say it often at Hope of Christ is God is for you. God is for you. And this psalm is a celebration by the people of God, by the sheep of God's pasture. They are, it is a psalm sung in celebration you are with me. The psalm opens and closes with the Lord or Yahweh. 
the covenantal name of God that he gave to his people. You call me the Lord. You call me Yahweh because I am with you. I am the God who always is, who always was, who is always for you. And so it starts by reminding us, the Lord is my shepherd. God is leading and guiding and caring for you. And it ends with, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so even here, the psalm begins by reminding you that the Lord is your shepherd and ends by reminding you the Lord is your father. The Lord is welcoming you and will bring you home one day. You will dwell in his house forever. Sheep don't dwell in the house forever. Servants don't dwell in the house forever. Laborers clock out and go home. Children dwell in their father's house forever. In this psalm, we see basically three ways that, that the Lord is with you. First, the Lord is with you as a pastor or as a shepherd. Pastor is just a word that comes from uh, the Greek word for shepherd. And so, the Lord is your pastor or your shepherd. There is a pastoring presence with the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That verse alone we could just park on. The Lord is my shepherd. It's not that the Lord might be one day or the Lord, I hope, could be possibly. It's, there's a confidence in the writer that is a, available to you and me. The Lord is my shepherd. It's not just that the Lord is a shepherd or even that the Lord is the shepherd or even that the Lord is the great shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. There is a personal relationship that I have with the Lord who is my shepherd. I know him. He knows me. As Jesus says, the sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. I know them by name. Jesus knows you by name, not just by your name that you know, but Jesus has a, a personal, intimate name that he has given to each one of us. Like we read about it in Revelation. We read about it as he's encouraging his, his disciples. Like he says, I have a name that's special for you that is written on white stones and it'll be revealed to you one day. You can imagine as he was telling his disciples about this, he looks over at, at Simon Peter and winks at him and he says, I just, I, I couldn't wait to tell you your name. I had to tell you immediately. But, but the Father in heaven has a particularly special name just for you. Some of you fathers know this. Like you, know, like you have nicknames for each of your children. You have names for loved ones. You know, husbands and wives call each other by nicknames or pet names and things that by the time the kids are 12 and 13 and 16, they cringe when they hear their parents say these things to each other. But it's a, it's a sign of intimacy and love. Uh, Amy calls me Len, which doesn't sound like much. But if you've, if you've ever been, well, you have been introduced to me at some point, but uh, so 
if you have even been introduced to me and I say, you know, hello, my name's Leonard, if you ask, oh, do you go by Len? I'll say no. I don't. I don't go by Len. And it was funny because it took like probably 10 years of marriage that uh, our pastor and I were talking once and he said, you know, you never let anyone call you Len. You know, your wife calls you Len. And I looked at him like he was crazy. I was like, no, she does not. And then I sat there and I was like, oh, yeah, she does. And that's fine with me. You're not my wife. (laughs) But the Father has a very special, private, personal, intimate name for you alone. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Well, even before we get to shall not want, remember, the Lord is my shepherd. What does that imply about you and me? What are we? Sheep. Yeah. Some wonder about when did David write this? Was it while he was sitting out in the fields as a teenager? It's possible, watching his sheep and humming and strumming on his lyre or whatever he did, and then uh, kills a bear and then sits down and writes the 23rd Psalm. But I don't, I think more likely... Just because of where the psalm goes, David is in bed and is reflecting on a lifetime of a shepherd who never left him. And he's looking at the path ahead of him and he's saying, you know what, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I have nothing to fear because you are with me. But here's David, the greatest king of Israel, reflecting on his life, and he's saying, you know what? I'm a sheep. I'm smelly. I'm ignorant. The only defense I have is flocking. Uh, And I'm not even very good at that. Given the chance, I wander and you pursue me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have everything I need. It doesn't mean I won't want things, but I want for nothing. I don't need to want things. I look back over my life and see God has been for me all along. I need not want physically, The Lord who provides for the sparrows, who clothes the the flowers, will certainly provide for me. I need not want spiritually. God is my shepherd. I I don't need to want. It's the sin in our hearts that produces in us such discontent with what God has provided It's when we allow the Holy Spirit to just open our eyes to the goodness of God, we look out and we say, I I have everything I could possibly need because the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. This is sort of all of the next phrases, all the way through the end of verse 3, is just this litany of proof that the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
The life of the child of God is a life of resting and following. First of all, resting. He, he makes me lie down in green pastures. It is not a religion of works. Every human religion is a religion of works. What must I do? That's why everyone who came to Jesus didn't understand. What must I do? What do I need to do? Tell me what to do. Rest. Your shepherd has done it. Rest. Lie down. Allow that it's been accomplished for you. Rest and then follow. Our inability to inability to rest in Christ. It just reveals how much we still think it depends on us. I got to do better. I got to try harder. But our unwillingness to follow reveals that we still don't trust that our shepherd knows best. He leads me beside still waters. Moses comes as a, as a, as a cowboy driving us with the law. But Christ comes as a shepherd leading us by example. Follow me. Listen to my voice. I will go ahead of you. I will lay down my life. I will substitute for you. Just follow me. And in in that resting and trusting in Christ and in our willingness to follow him, we find our souls restored. When we are full of sorrow, Christ revives us. When we are full of sin, Christ sanctifies us. When we are weak, Christ strengthens us. And he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Because of the covenant name of God. Because God has said, I will be your God. You will be my people and I will dwell with you. It's not for our sake. The paths of righteousness are for his name's sake. It brings glory to him when we follow him in the paths of righteousness that he has laid out for us. And then the second stanza. God is with you, not just with a pastoring presence, but with a protecting presence. Presence. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. And I've pointed this out before. So if you were here seven years ago, you'll remember this. Um, do you notice the change in pronoun halfway through the psalm? At the beginning, it is a psalm about the Lord. And in the end, it is a psalm to the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads. He guides. He restores. He leads. And when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. It's one thing to know about the love and care of the Father for you. But unfortunately, 
until you have walked through the valley of the shadow of death, you won't feel the love and care of the Father for you. It is in those times of greatest trial that we feel the presence of God most personally, most intimately. You are with me. And in this one, even this, like you just unpack the whole psalm, even though, again, not if, if I happen to, should it come about that I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? No, even though it's inevitable. You know, as the, as the line goes, none of us are getting out of this alive. So far, the mortality rate of the human existence is near enough to 100% that most statisticians would have to agree, save to three guys, Enoch, Elijah, Jesus, and even Jesus tasted death. So now you've just got Enoch and Elijah. Out of eight billion, go backwards also. That's, that's clear enough. That's close enough to 100% mortality rate. Everyone dies. And if you're not prepared for that, I'm failing you as your pastor. If you're not prepared for the reality, and this is always hard to hear, that everyone in this room, unless Christ comes, is going to bury a parent or a child. Some both. Some have. We know this reality and we still act, we're still so surprised when it comes. The psalmist says, even though I know I will, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't be afraid because you're with me. Because, again, even though I walk through, I don't dwell in. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not your dwelling place. It's a tunnel. Tunnels exist to get you from one side to the other. They're not a place to live. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Notice it's the valley of the shadow of death. It's not the valley of death. For those who are in Christ, for those to whom Christ is your shepherd, it is nothing more than a shadow of death now. And just like the shadow of a sword cannot cut you, and the shadow of a dog cannot bite you, the shadow of death cannot destroy you because Christ is with you, because God is for you, because God is your shepherd. He leads you through the valley of the shadow of death. So even if this is a psalm specifically about death, it's the reminder to all who are in Christ that death is not your end. It is a tunnel through which we all must pass into the presence of God forever. It's not something we need to fear. because you are with me. We do not need to be afraid because God is with us. When my kids were smaller than they are now, every, every thunderstorm, our bed 
became a family bed. And slowly, uh, first, uh, well, it was usually more than, so usually one. But two of the, the two younger ones shared a room for so long that if one left the room, the other was leaving the room for whatever reason. Uh, I feel like that's still the case today. But, uh, but there would be the rumblings, the, the quiet rumblings, and they'd get a little louder, and then pretty soon there was a, a body between Amy and me. And then, depending on who came to the bed first, 30 seconds later, there'd be a second body between us. And then as the thunder got louder, there'd be a third body between us. And if it got loud enough, there would then be a body down at the end of the bed. And there would be six of us sleeping in this bed. As the thunder... Now, is the thunder quieter in mom and dad's room, kids? Is it quieter in there? Does the rain stop when you get into mom and dad's room? Does the wind howl less through the windows in mommy and daddy's room? No. But you sleep more soundly because of one thing. They're with you. They're with you. There's this overwhelming comfort of knowing you're with me. Infants can sleep through hurricanes. They don't know the trouble they're in because they're in their mother's arms. And if, and if weak moms and dads who really, I hate to break this to you kids, they have no power over the thunderstorm. <laughs> God, who created and calms the seas, who raises the, the storms so that we will cry out to him, so that we can feel and know and remember and rest in his arms. He is with you. That's why his rod and staff comfort you. I used to think, oh, this is a discipline thing. Like, you know, you're comforted by the, you know, if your parents discipline you correctly, it'll be a comfort to you. It's like, that's not what this is about. I mean, maybe it's true, but that's not this passage. But this is, like, these are symbols of God's authority. As the king, his rod and his staff, his scepter, it is a comfort to you. And how, how not? When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Why? Because you're the king. You're in control. You're in charge. What, what possibly could go wrong? What possibly could, could harm me if you are for me? The protecting presence of the Lord. You are with me, Lord. And then finally, the partying presence of the Lord in the last stanza. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love how nearly all of the psalm, whether it's about he as the Lord or you as the Lord, like, go back and look at all the action of the psalm. The vast majority of it is, is the Lord's action. 
He leads. He makes. He leads. He restores. Even though I walk through, I will fear no evil. Why? You are with me. Your rod. You prepare. You anoint. It's all the work of God. So sure is my deliverance that even in the presence of enemies, and again, even this is a reminder, you have enemies. It's not that uh, when you become God's child, He vanquishes all the enemies immediately. In one sense, no, uh, you're, in, you're in more trouble when you, f- when you become God's child than when you weren't God's child. Because when you weren't God's child, you had one enemy, and it was God, and He loved you and was pursuing you. Like, what a great enemy to have, someone who loved you enough to die for you while you were still his enemy. That is amazing. But now that you're God's child, your enemy, in one sense, has tripled. Now the world and the flesh and the devil are against you, which is disconcerting because the flesh doesn't just mean all those fleshy people out there. It means you. It's in you. You are your worst enemy. But even in the presence of enemies, this is how, how comforting God's presence with you is, that even in the presence of your enemies, He prepares a table before you. In the presence of your enemies, it's not rations down in the ditches. It's not like hunkering and hiding and, and sneaking a snack. He prepares a feast for you. Now, how sure of victory is a general If on the front line, he lays out a buffet for his men, he's like, hey, come on out. It's all you can eat. So everyone come on up. We got tacos. We got breakfasts. We have meat galore. It's a feast. Come, let's just eat. Let's just sit down and eat. And Who sits at a table in the presence of their enemies? Only someone who is absolutely certain victory is sure. It's also why in Revelation, when you see uh, Jesus leading his army and they're dressed in white linen, Listen, I've been on a cruise ship recently. You don't wear white linen to anything, certainly not to a battle. That stuff wrinkles too quickly. It stains immediately. You know you are confident when the armor of the army you have is white linen. I'm pretty sure Jesus is going to win that battle. Here he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. He anoints your head with oil. There's refreshment from the presence of God. He refreshes us. He cleanses us. He calls us this anointing. You've been anointed to be a child of God. You've been washed. You've been cleansed. My cup overflows, not in a wasteful sense, but in a It overflows for the benefit of others. My cup is so filled with God's blessing, how could I not pass that blessing on to others? It's not like, you know, a cup over the the drain that's getting filled too much. It's more like, you know, those pyramid of champagne glasses where it's overflowing and filling the next group and it just keeps pouring in and until everyone is blessed by the pouring. Your cup overflows with the blessings of God. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Mercy. Like if I have, a, if I have a, a, a difficulty with the English translation, it's this mercy here. Because everywhere else in the Psalms, 
This word is the steadfast love of the Lord. This is the chesed. This is the language of covenantal faithfulness and love. This word that means I, I am for you. I am so for you. It's, it's what, what, we were, what we were reminded of when, when Michael Langer preached a, a, and brought in Abraham and watching God go down through the, the covenantal, make the covenantal walk through the parted animals. God doesn't invite Abraham to walk it. God walks it himself, basically saying, if this covenant is broken, it's on me. I'll pay the price for it. That's chesed. That's steadfast love. That's love. That's the kind of love that a a marriage is supposed to be built on. It's a love of commitment and decision before it's ever a love of feeling and emotion. God's love for you isn't based on feeling and emotion. It's based on, I have said, I love you, and so I love you. You can trust my word. The surely... The steadfast love of the Lord shall follow me. And the goodness. I mean, it's just a small thing, I know, because, I mean, they're just words. But still, it's the word for good that's repeated ten times in Genesis. The good, perfect, the the good that God looked at his creation and saw and said it was good and it was good and it was good. And finally, it was good, good, very good. Goodness of God is going to dog you and pursue you. The faithfulness, the steadfast love of God will dog you and pursue you all the days of your life, and it will chase you eventually into the house of the Lord forever until one day you have finally come home and you will rest in the house of the Lord forever. And I know we're a little beyond, but uh, we can't, you can't leave this psalm without being reminded that how do you get to this psalm? How do you get here? The Lord is my shepherd. This is the first psalm that God has spoken of as shepherd. There's a couple more. But this one certainly dwells on it, that the safety we have as the sheep of his pasture, of the people of God, the safety we have with him as our shepherd, how do we get here? And it is no coincidence that you don't get here to Psalm 23 without Psalm 22. How do I know you are with me? How do I know that even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't need to be afraid because you're with me. How can I be comforted by your rod and your staff? I cannot claim the psalm of the sheep until I have embraced the psalm of the cross. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Of all the words that Jesus spoke from the cross, these are probably the most famous. As he quotes Psalm 22, as the shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, as he substitutes his body for yours, takes your sin on himself 
so that you might have his righteousness. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep so the sheep can confidently say, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, indeed, you are our shepherd. In you we have all that we need. Forgive us for the times that we've wanted for more, coveted other things. You've given us to lie down and rest in your accomplished work. You lead us to still waters and restore our soul. God, give us a faith in you that that we would rest entirely in your work for us and that we would follow you faithfully, that we would pursue righteousness, not so that we could be saved, but for the sake of your name. You have saved us. You have put your name on us. Remind us even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, perhaps our own death, perhaps the death of loved ones, perhaps simply the death of a broken and fallen and hard world. Help us to know that we need not fear because you are with us. Help us to realize that your goodness and your steadfast love will be with us all of our days. And beyond our days, we will come home to you, Lord, and dwell with you forever. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.